Morning, everybody. <clears throat> well, let's see. I wonder which part of this presentation I get to give this time. I told the folks in uh, the first service I was going to cut out some slides. And this last service, I was able to successfully guide myself around 70 slides. Now, I took some out last night because I realized I had probably eh, two hours worth of stuff. But you're the last service. Let me see. I really want to do this. Listen, I'm glad to see everybody again. I've been reacquainting, seeing people I hadn't seen in a while, and that's great. Uh, a number of you went to Israel with Melanie and I, Pastor Brandon, his wife, and others went. So we had a great time, 2018. That was about the time that Melanie had been healed of, of uh, H. pylori stomach bacteria, we came back from Israel, and then she began about a year and a half battle that ended up with hidden diverticulitis. You'd think it would be pretty open. That's something that's very visible. But um, her colon had prolapsed, and you couldn't see it in the CT scans until we found just the right surgeon who was able to read. Uh, a third CT scan was able to, to help her. So she had successful surgery last March 1st and is uh, completely healed, and we're grateful for that. So um, I am no longer doing the dishes at my house like I was. I was cleaning in places in the house that I didn't know existed. I was doing my wife's work, which I really honestly didn't, uh, I didn't recognize the tedious nature of some of the stuff that we were asking her to do and that she was faithfully doing. But it caused the ministry to operate differently, that's for sure. In fact, um, until COVID happened, I was traveling about 200 days a year, and uh, that's that's quite a bit. And I was trying to slow down some. We were trying, we were shooting for like 125 or so in 2019. Well, as time went on, obviously uh, the shutdown happened. People weren't having speakers. If you'd have told me 20 years ago that there was going to be a time in my ministry when I would only speak six times, which is what happened in 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 uh, 2020, just six times, I would ask at what point during that, that, uh, that time did I go bankrupt? But God has seen us through in miraculous ways and took care of the needs. And if he wants a ministry, if he wants us to go on, he's going he's gonna to help us to be able to figure it out and do it. Amen? He will do it. So he's taking care of our needs, take care of the ministry. And uh, somewhat it's picking up again. I'm doing some conferences. In fact, Pastor Brandon is coming up to Washington State, and there's a conference. A church has asked me to put together a conference for them, a second conference, actually. We did one last year. This year, they get Pastor Brandon. That, that will probably be the last conference up there, I'm sorry to say. No, I'm teasing. Some of you got that. I'm teasing. It should be really good. Tom Hughes, uh, Pastor Brandon, Billy Crone, myself, and the pastor of the church who is very good on prophecy, so we're doing that in May. So things are, are picking up, and you know, we just continue to persevere no matter what, amen? That's the way we've got to look at this. That's the way we've got to look at our lives, too. So I'm uh, grateful that, that God has seen fit to keep the ministry going and, and uh, to give me some new ingenuity and new messages and that kind of stuff, and that's, that's been really great. Uh, I didn't didn't plan on sitting home, though. My main thing is going out to churches and conferences like yours and being here with you this weekend. That's, that's what I believe I'm called to do. But I'm doing some writing. I'm uh, producing, still producing my documentary, which now hopefully we can finish now that Melanie's well. And I've got uh, two brand new messages. I've got one called Jesus is Not a Socialist. And uh, that's going to be very interesting when we're done. And the other one you're going to see part of here this morning but uh, this little video is kind of giving you a look at who we are and what we've done. This is our 39th year full-time apologetics and discernment ministry dealing with uh, cults and the occult and um, issues inside the church theologically as well as uh, Islam and Chrislam and all those issues and, of course, Bible prophecy. If you want to know more about those, those um, topics... Uh, go to our website, it's ericbarger.com, pretty simple and straightforward, just my name all run together, no spaces or underlines. Uh, there's, everything is free there, all the videos, all the audio clips, uh, most of my second to last book and just about all of my last book are up there online, free of charge. We try to put the inf information out for people who couldn't get it any other way, who, whose churches I will not be able to go to 
uh, because of where they are proximity-wise, and uh, let alone with all the new restrictions that are on, on uh, travel out there. So I'm just grateful that we've got the way that we do. And we're building a new website just for something to do on the side. A friend of mine who I thought was coming this service from Whittier, and I don't see him in the audience, so I don't know. But uh, we're putting together a series of podcasts. Uh, We've already got our logo and all that kind of thing. It's called The Odd Mix. Uh, He looks like he just came off a skateboard tour. If you see a guy like that, you'll know who he is. Anyway, and here I am, a guy that usually wears a tie, and he never wears one. And so we're calling it The Odd Mix, and we're... uh, we're excited about that because we think so much alike, even though uh, he could be my son and we don't look alike, which is fine, amen? He is here. He's waving his hand. Yes, let's give it up for Pablo Frassini. There he is right there. And his family. Welcome, guys. Thank you for being here. So uh, that's, that's what's coming. That's some of the new stuff that we're working on. Uh, If you'd like to get our newsletter, I won't sell your name to anybody else. I'm not going to bug you every five minutes. Uh, It may be once a month, maybe even less on some months. And so you can do that by going to the table back there and just uh, signing up the simple sheet or the cards that that ask for your email address. Please print clearly or you won't get the emails from me because it's got to be exactly right. But we've got those back at the table. I appreciate your uh, support at our book table too. It is sometimes half our income when I'm traveling. We've, uh, we've dropped the price of the DVDs. So a single DVD is now $10 instead of 15. Six DVDs for 50, 13 DVDs for 99. You can use a check or cash or a credit card. And as long as they last, there's a little book back there called Bird's Eye View of the Bible. And I have the very end of the last printing Uh, that these two precious women put together back in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Dave Reagan and myself got the end of these from what I understand. And so uh, those are free if you just buy anything at our table today. I think I've got a handful of my testimony booklets. Some of you have used that. I've gotten uh, cards and letters about this, how people have used my testimony. You can download it onto your phone or your your PC, your tablet, whatever, online uh, from our homepage, but you can get the actual printed copy back there today. And These are free of charge as well. So we have a couple of freebies back there for you, and we appreciate your support at the table. So there's my advertisement. If I didn't tell you about it, you wouldn't know about it. I hate to be a salesman. I'm not trying to be, but do need to tell you about what we've got there. So this is what we're going to talk about in the uh, three hours that we have now today. (laughs) Inching toward Antichrist. Inching toward Antichrist. That's the topic today. I'm going to explain why I'm talking about this in just a few minutes too. Since the beginning of the church age, we have been moving toward a a shutdown that is about to take place. We see this taking place between evil and good. The power of Antichrist is at work on many fronts and the time of ultimate upheaval and spiritual warfare like we've never seen before is somewhere ahead of us. The man the Bible identifies as the Antichrist will appear and personify evil incarnate in the form of a man. Now, when he appears, many will believe they're actually heading into the promised utopia, but in reality, the world is just beginning to walk into a nightmare that even George Orwell could not construct and write about, that they never could have imagined was coming. By the time his true identity is known, it's going to be too late. So this is what's coming ahead. And I know some of you are wondering, well, why are you talking about this? The Antichrist is a system, but that term also refers to a man. The word Antichrist simply means against Christ, and the Bible also refers to the Antichrist or Antichrist as a spirit. The word Antichrist only appears four times in the King James Version of the Bible, and they all appear in the first and second epistles of John. And I'll give you those four references. If you want to take pictures of the screen, I encourage you to do that. That's a lot easier than trying to write everything down. But uh, if you want to take pictures with your cell phone, feel free to do that. First John chapter 2, in two places, you have the word Antichrist used in the King James. First John chapter 4 and Second John chapter 1, you will see the word Antichrist also used in those passages. As I mentioned, the Bible refers to an individual called Antichrist. He's also called the beast. He's called the dragon in the book of Revelation. He's called the beast in Daniel chapter 7. 
Daniel chapter 9 calls him the desolator. And in Jesus' famous end times teaching in Matthew 24, in verse 15, he calls him the abomination of desolation. He is everything that contradicts and defies the teaching of Jesus Christ. Dispensational believers, that would be most of us in this room who believe that God does things in time dispensations. Dispensational believers also understand that though the workings of Antichrist have been here throughout the church age, the Antichrist himself has not yet appeared and that he is yet to come. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is a key passage to understand that he is actually a man. And I won't read it, but you can all go and read it. It's a very famous passage, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. Now, I, I, uh, I, I don't want to break fellowship with anybody about stuff like this, but some people would say, well, the Antichrist is not a man. It's a system. I would agree it's a system, but it's also a man. And they would say, but it's a spirit. No, it's also a man and a system. And so when you're talking about Antichrist, you've got to really define your terms. He will be a man completely controlled by Satan in a way that no other man has ever been. He will represent absolute evil in a way far beyond anyone who had come before him. So we're talking about, and it's very clear in Paul's writings here in 2 Thessalonians 2, that Antichrist is a man. Revelation chapter 13 tells us he will rule over the earth in a political, economic, and religious system. So it'll be a three-tiered system, political, economic, and religious, and he will deceive and destroy untold numbers of people at the end of the church age. He will gain their confidence, and then, of course, he'll be revealed as Antichrist. So the three tiers of the last day's utopian system that is being promoted to the masses right now and being slowly formulated right now comes right from Revelation chapter 13 a one-world government, a one-world economy, and a one-world religion. Exactly the same three legs of the Antichrist system as given to us in Revelation and chapter 13. Now, some of you may be wondering, why in the world has Eric picked a topic like this to talk about? Because after all, he's talking to Christians today, and since we're dispensationalists, and since most of us in this room believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, by the way, the big question is, is God a pre-tribber? I'm a pre-tribber. I sure hope God is too. One way or another, I'm going to go to heaven for all eternity, but I'd much rather go via rapture, but only a small, very small, uh, very infinite part of the church throughout history will ever be raptured. The rest of us will die uh, and go to heaven. But I believe that the rapture is clearly teaching, or the teaching of the rapture is clear from the scripture that, that uh, uh, we do not see Antichrist, but that doesn't negate the fact that we need to understand. Why am I talking about this? Even though we won't see him, it's not an uplifting topic. Uh, it, it's not one that we want to hear about. It's not one we just can't wait to get to church to get in the first row so we can hear somebody discuss the Antichrist. I, I mean, you know, a lot of people have been schooled. In fact, pastors have been schooled in seminaries these days to make sure that people leave with something positive. And you don't want to preach on things like sin and Satan and demons and hell and judgment. You know, if you preach on that stuff, you'll, you'll run people out. They won't come back. That's what that's what prospective pastors are being told today. What they're being told really is you want to ignore anything in the Bible that you don't like or you think your people won't like because bringing the crowd in is more important than preaching the truth, except for one thing. They will stand before God someday and give an account for why they didn't preach the whole word. And I'd much rather preach the whole word and know I'm doing the right thing before God. You know, we don't have to be depressing when we talk about Antichrist. I'm not going to make jokes. I'm not going to be lighthearted about it, but we need to hear about it. And I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why. It's not uplifting, not like discussing things that make us feel spiritual goosebumps. Here are a couple of reasons why we need to hear about the Antichrist. Without understanding about Antichrist, our views of eschatology are likely to be inaccurate and incomplete. Without understanding the Antichrist and his system, how can we talk about Bible prophecy, let alone 
end times Bible prophecy. How do we do that? We can't effectively. How do you skirt around using the the terms or the words antichrist or man of sin or uh, the one who leads darkness, whatever terms you want to put to him? You can't do it. And so without understanding this area, we will not be completely prepared as we should be to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world as well. Speaking about the tribulation period is great witnessing material. Now, I don't want to scare people, but if I tell them the truth and I do it in a tasteful manner in such a way that they will understand, just maybe they'll think about their eternity because eternity is a long, long, long time. And the decisions we make here, whether to accept Jesus Christ or reject him, determine where we're going to be for all eternity. And so I think it's important that we use this because here we are in the end of the end days. What is it with the church at the end of the end days in the church age and we don't want to talk about the end of the end days? What, what is it that we've decided that, that we have a better idea just because we somehow feel that it's unseemly to talk about stuff like Antichrist or the demonic. We need to understand these things. We don't need to make them um, the, the priority in our life. That's for sure. And a lot of people get it upside down. I know a lot of people who become experts on the cults, but they're not ex- experts on Jesus Christ. And that's a problem, just like it would be if we were just experts on eschatology and times teaching. You see... We're not looking for the Antichrist as the church. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ is who I'm looking for. And I expect that I will see him. I will hear the trumpet call and the dead in Christ will rise just before me and we who are left be caused to be with them in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and following. So any study of the Antichrist or the demonic or Satan himself must never be overshadowed with our study against our study and devotion of knowing and serving the king of kings. Make sure you keep things in perspective that you don't get out of balance with any of this stuff. So with that said, what does the Bible tell us about Antichrist? I'll just give you a short list. It won't be complete, that's for sure. But here it is. Antichrist will claim to be God. He will desecrate the soon-to-be-built temple in Jerusalem, and they're ready to go. They have the implements already Uh, to to put in the temple. They just don't have the building because they don't have uh, access to the temple mount where they need to build the building. But he will desecrate the temple and he will demand that he is worshiped. And there's some scripture to back up what I'm saying. Secondly, he will blaspheme God directly. That's Revelation chapter 13, verses five and six. He will display miraculous seducing powers, signs and wonders that are counterfeits of what God does, and God does the real thing. And I'm grateful that God still heals and delivers the same way he always has. But Antichrist will, the people of the world will marvel after him because of the supernatural power, even though it will be counterfeit. Antichrist is going to be killed, and it will come back to life. Revelation chapter 13, that's a miracle sign and wonder, isn't it? Antichrist will rule with complete authority in a way that no government ever has. The Antichrist will control the world's economy. That's frightening when you think about it. And he will confirm a short-lived covenant with Israel. And that is the key right there that begins the tribulation period. The tribulation is not started by the rapture of the church. The tribulation period may be sometime later. It might be immediate, but we don't know. But it could be sometime later, after the rapture. I've always contended, and Pablo and I were talking about this on the phone the other day, that if, um, if let's just say conservatively, 25% of the people in America are born-again Christians, imagine... Just imagine 25% of the people in America being taken off the planet in the twinkling of an eye. 25% of the people in in all of the countries of the world. Just imagine that. If you want economic and emotional collapse, you've got one right there. And it'll be like nothing anybody has ever dreamed of. Nothing Hollywood has ever produced could ever match what it will be like in reality for the world who's left behind. So if the rapture 
should happen. I don't think that uh, the, the, the confirming of the covenant with Israel could be too far off because that's what will happen and that actually triggers the beginning of the tribulation period. The end time goal is to destroy Israel. That's what Antichrist wants to do. He wants to get at Israel because they produced the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He will lead his military against Christ at the Battle of Armageddon and he will be defeated. And this is the good news. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet from the book of Revelation will spend eternity in the lake of fire. We have God's word on it. It's going to happen. It's just getting between here and there that's dicey. But don't let anything in the temporal or the temporary hold you back from remembering the eternal. Because for the Christian, it's good news that we're coming up to the end of the church age. Now, some of you would say, well, I don't want to hear about this stuff. I still need to get married. I want to get married. I want to have a family. I want to have a career. I've got my own plans. Listen, one second after the rapture of the church, you won't care about anything you were planning down here. That won't be a consideration you've got. And so what we got to know is this. It's up to God when we go. It's not up to us. It's up to God when he decides to take a church, the church off the planet. It's not up to us. But these things lead to Antichrist eventually. Here's what the Bible does not tell us about the Antichrist. It doesn't tell us his ethnicity. Now, there's a debate among Bible scholars about uh, what ethnic uh, group the Antichrist might come from. Some believe Antichrist will be of Jewish descent, thinking that he would have to be a Jew to be able to claim to be Messiah and then make a peace deal with Israel. Others believe the Antichrist will come from the revived Roman Empire or uh, most likely what we would refer to as Europe. But we can't be dogmatic about some aspects of the future Antichrist and his system because so much is not directly revealed in Scripture. Be careful of convoluting something you see in Scripture that you know absolutely God has spoken will take place and other things that you think might happen and making them all one thing. Keep your speculations separate from things we absolutely know in Scripture. The Bible nowhere says anything about his ethnicity, his age, or his birthplace. While ideas about these points may be fascinating to discuss, they, they can unintentionally lend to the mass of misinformation that exists about Antichrist, like making it more difficult for people to recognize and realize who the true, real Antichrist might be even though I don't think we as a church are going to see him. We might see his ascension to power, but we will not see him and know him as the Antichrist when he takes power, because I believe the church is gone at that point in time. We won't know what religion he is. The Bible nowhere says anything about any of this. We don't know if he's what, what religion he might be or no religion at all. And to insist he must be a Jew or a Muslim, and there's some Christians who talk about him being a Muslim. There's a dear brother I know that's written a book about the Muslim Antichrist, uh, or that he must be European, such as what I believe. I can't be dogmatic about it. I can't make deductions on my own and then try to mix them into Bible prophecy and say, see, there it proves it. We know some things and other things are veiled from us. We don't know for sure. Biblical thinkers should be cautious of making assumptions and we should, well, we ought to be biblical thinkers instead. We ought to use the 1 Corinthians 4-6 rule. That's what I call it anyway. Stay inside the context of what we know from the Bible and clearly separate any speculations from biblical truth and don't convolute biblical truth with our personal ideas or speculations. And there is an awful lot of people out there who do that. They bring in what they think rather than what the scripture says. Daniel chapter 11 tells us that uh, he will not follow any religious tradition. Daniel's a very prophetic passage. Uh, the whole book, uh, especially chapter 9, 10, 11, very prophetic passage, but it doesn't say Antichrist is going to be of any religious uh, persuasion at all. Instead, he'll be exalted to be the focus of religion. 
uh, also indicates Antichrist could well be a homosexual. And we don't know that. It says he has no desire of women. And uh, the way you read that, if you go back and look at the Hebrew, you get that kind of feeling out of it. But we can't go around being dogmatic about it at the same time. It's just a hint there for us, but it's not absolute. And it doesn't tell us when Antichrist will appear. We know if we look at the different events that have to take place, we know, yep, he comes right there. Right after the rapture of the church, he's revealed and he begins to set up his, his earthly kingdom with his financial system. And of course, then halfway through the tribulation period, he sits in the temple in Jerusalem and claims that he is God. But Bible students need to be careful to inspect the signs we see around us Prophetic signs will help us understand, but remember, prophetic signs are not absolute. The scripture is absolute. Prophetic signs are occurring and becoming more frequent, just like the birth pangs that Jesus talked about. What a great analogy it is to talk about birth pangs because they're very very slight to start with, and then they're more intense and more intense and closer together, and finally then the birth, and some more violence that comes to the end of the pregnancy. But understand that signs and prophesied biblical events, we, we, don't, we, we can't just take them. We've got to look at what the scripture says about them if we're going to be uh, biblical thinkers. After some four decades of reading about this and studying prophecy and going to listen to speakers and going to conferences and trying to eat up and consume all I can about this topic and about the other things I, I teach on, after speaking about this and addressing these topics myself, I can tell you it's been fascinating and it's been a frightening journey at the same time. It's not always easy to understand. I remember my first time through the book of Revelation was a scary event. Anybody remember those days? You picked up the Bible, you started to read, and suddenly about your third or fourth day in, you went back there and said, I've heard about Revelation, let me read that. And you, you shut the book up with your eyes like this and just put your head down and begin to hide. I remember that first time through the book of Revelation. I didn't understand the typologies. I didn't understand the way it's written. And I remember how, how it was very disturbing to me, but it didn't stop me from wanting to learn more. It is virtually impossible to stay informed about all the activities and all the players who are right now helping to push toward the prophetic road. They don't know they're bringing Antichrist in, but you kind of look like this guy. Take a look at him. Even the best researchers complain that, that we can't keep up. If we had huge staff doing nothing but research on these issues, there's still something we would miss. There's no way to keep up on it. And we all agree with that. Pablo and I have talked about it. Others, we've talked about it. And I realize that once again, over the past couple of weeks as I researched, it could drive people to drink. Not me, but it could. It could. People could get so upset because they, have, they don't have the basis and the foundation of Scripture. And by the way, if prophecy and the events around you are confusing you or perplexing you, you are not alone. We're all trying to figure out these things. But I want to be careful to keep with the Scripture and stay constant with Scripture. Many of you have seen these charts and graphs, and there are many of them on the Internet. Some are very good. Some of them are really, really wacky. Uh, but... I'm not saying these I've shown you are or aren't. I just picked these out as examples. But uh, biblical events and the order of the events is a big deal, and people want to talk about it a lot. And sadly, a lot of people want to break fellowship over these things. Occasionally, I'll see a chart that's pretty sound, and I've seen many of them. They're completely out of whack. So I'm not showing any of these to validate any of them, but they take you from point A to point B, and they, they say what the author of the chart thinks will happen during those times, and sometimes they're very right. Of God. One of those that's very good done, is this man, so Don Perkins. Because what he has done, and he does a great job in a video that was As produced by Lord, Dr. Dave uh, Reagan and Christ of Prophecy cross, TV, uh, the church Charting Bible we, Prophecy. We, we, we the he has two of them. And in the this book is of Acts, you know, from, the church uh, number two age of the Bible second, two of two, the, the second uh, video. The world upside down. But he does a, a terrific job of these things, and I'm thankful for that. So there's some really good ones out there. But we only have general answers about some parts of prophecy, and certainly not all of the specifics. But Scripture provides an ample framework and gives us, listen carefully, it gives us exactly what God intended for us to know, and it doesn't answer every question. 
I wish it did about a lot of things, but about prophecy, I really wish it did. But God hasn't given us every answer. He's given us exactly what he intended for us to know. We're to observe the times by the light of Bible prophecy. Look around the world and understand by the light of prophecy what is happening, but not try to make it dogmatic, not try to make it like it has to be. Then we can better evaluate uh, the many aspects of these things that are happening to see if they're really prophetic or not and not be confused like that particular guy. I personally want to avoid a lot of speculation. You end up like this if you're not careful. But all that some folks do is speculation. You know, they're running after the latest, greatest thing. Well, why don't we stick with the fact that Israel became a state in 1948 and for the first time in 2,500 years since the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC, there was a government in Israel that was the Jews. We know that and we know that's prophetic. We know it's prophetic. And it's a prophetic marker that took place three years before, before I came into this world, 1948 in May of that year. Studying and sorting and questioning and praying about possible prophetic events is important, but be careful because it'll turn you sideways if you try to figure out everything all the time. We should take caution not to be dogmatic and force everybody into our framework, you know, like pull a gun on them and force them to believe exactly like we do concerning prophecy. To have a position is fine, but to insist that others, particularly other authentic Christian believers, must agree with our opinions should be avoided at all cost. As I prepared this message, I couldn't get away from the thought that there's an elite group of people, we call them the globalists, who want to bring the world together to be one. And they don't realize, many of them, that what they're trying to do is build the very system that I pointed out a few minutes ago Revelation 13 tells us will be the Antichrist system. They don't realize that many of them don't. They want this system. Many of them see how they could become the richest people and the most affluent and the most powerful people. But they're helping to bring about a system that Antichrist will waltz in and take from them. Make no mistake, Antichrist system is underway. The, con the, the construction of it is underway today. Without some definition and understanding, there's no way to discuss the, the, all this the stuff that leads toward Antichrist in the tribulation. The path leading there is, is, a, is a very winding road. And there's no good way to enter in the story midstream either. So we need some reminders of who and what has brought the world to where we currently are. And I'll give you this one simple conservative definition of globalism that will help you. Globalism is a liberal and authoritarian desire for a one-world view that rejects the role of sovereign nations in protecting values and encouraging productivity. The ultimate goal of globalism is the eventual unification of humanity under a one-world government. And I would stand with that definition. It wasn't mine, but I think uh, as I've read that so many times, I agree with that. That's the way it is. For many details on this topic, I want to encourage you to check out a series of videos that I recorded back in, in the summer of 2020. There's three of them. The longest one is 40 minutes and the two are shorter. Uh, and for the sake of time today, I'm not going to play anything from those videos. I had a 13-minute clip in here that would be played next, but we don't have the time for that today. Even if you do have three hours, there's no time. Anyway, and so uh, uh, go and check these out. You'll find them on my YouTube channel, but we are now switching. Everything new that we put up will be at Rumble. Only part of the new things that I produce or that Pablo and I produce together uh, will be on YouTube because eventually YouTube's going to throw me off. Now, I would wear that like a badge if YouTube threw me off. They want to control speech. They don't want any ideas that they, that they disagree with being forwarded. They'd call it misinformation. They would call it fantasy. But uh, I'm going to use Rumble and BitChute, but especially Rumble, to load up all of my videos and podcasts and those kind of things from now on. This man, the most notable one-worlder, is, of course, George Soros. Now, I'll admit, if it was 8 o'clock in the morning, this picture would be very hard to take. But he's the most notable one-worlder, the subversive, anti-American, anti-Hungarian. That's where he was born and raised, but he's in a battle now with Hungary over, over freedom. 
and uh, he's a billionaire, born in 1930. He made his money as a free market hedge fund manager. Imagine that. He's promoting the ideas of a one-world globalist government through his Open Societies Foundation. He's funded them to the tune of $32 billion so far. In 1992, Soros turned his attention to incrementally collapsing nationalism whenever possible. To further his strategy, Soros has funded abortion and LGBT causes, as well as corrupt prosecutors and judges, and he's backed Antifa. He's where the money to get these liberal prosecutors elected is coming from. Soros' enormous wealth supports and funds literally every liberal globalist cause imaginable. For Soros and the elite, it is just as much about tearing down society as it is to replace it then with something that puts them in charge that they believe is so much better. But perhaps the most damaging is his brazen string pulling behind the scenes. Soros knows no limits when it comes to building influence and being able to use his money to get what he wants. He wants to destroy any objective that stands in his way. It's no newsflash that the media generally leans left, but the iron vitriol many media figures have displayed against conservatives and absolute moral standards since the 2016 election is unprecedented. And the reason is it's because Soros is spreading his money around liberally to the right newsmen and the right organizations so they can spread disinformation to bring destruction. But then was the 2016 election and a populist got elected. Nobody expected that. They thought eight years of Hillary Clinton, Soros dreamed that would be it. The new world order could dawn. Finally, the dream of the globalists, the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderbergers, the UN, and other globalist organizations could be fulfilled. But Donald Trump got in their way. He was, was an establishment politician, but no establishment politician would ever face the kind of attacks and slander, including the phony accusations and impeachments. Now, you think about what we're hearing now from the Durham report, and I won't get into it, but some of you, if you've not heard about it, you need to read what kind of materials that uh, the Durham report, John Durham has come up with. He's a special prosecutor working on this. I want you to see a short video and imagine anybody else but Donald Trump saying these things. And before I show it to you, let me just say, Donald Trump's not perfect. And I'm not saying that in any way, but he's anti-globalist and that really gets high points for me. So let's look at this. Here we go. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, Hold on to your sovereignty. And if you want peace, love your nation. Wise leaders always put the good of their own people and their own country first. The future does not belong to globalists. The future belongs to patriots. The future belongs to sovereign and independent nations who protect their citizens, respect their neighbors, and honor the differences that make each country special and unique. Now, he's in the belly of the beast saying that. He's at the UN saying that. And he said it's not for patriots, or not for socialists or communists. It's not for the globalist. It's going to be for patriots. That's what the future is. So my hat's off to him for that. Uh, he was able to stand in the face of this and speak about it. Now, Soros has, has got many of these news organizations under his thumb. What we've been experiencing is what happens when unlimited funds and larger awards are able to buy segments of the media who used to be the tellers of truth. They used to hold the government accountable. Along the way, many media members have become entranced with the siren song of the New World Order as well. Now, I've got a list here of slides where I can skip around some, and I need to do that for your sake. Uh, let me just bring this up. Uh, next would be the world problems. I can list these different things that are going on in the world today. And when you think of them all, you want to crawl in a hole when you see the list of them. I'm, I won't do that to you this time. How about 
Bill Gates and Event 201. Anybody here ever heard of that? Well, Bill Gates put together a role play with the help of Johns Hopkins University. It took place in New York City. It was in uh, late 1919. It was called Event 201, where they did a role play about how they would respond to a global pandemic, and they used a novel coronavirus as their plaything. In other words, that was what the perspective uh, of the whole thing was all about. And lo and behold, look what happened next. Do you know what Bill Gates said on Friday? He said, well, the, uh, the pandemic is winding down, but there's going to be another pandemic soon. How does he know that? How can he make that kind of statement? How could he do event 201? It sure was dubious timing. How did he, how did he know all the things, including calling, uh, uh, using a novel coronavirus as the object of it? Uh, I want to talk about Klaus Schwab. Anybody here know who that is? Well, there he is. He is the founder and chairman of the World Economic Forum. It's no wonder they've chosen this year to further promote the one world ideas and condition people to the great reset. But that's really what he's trying to do and what he has been doing. He wrote a book about this. He's the founder and chairman of the World Economic Forum, maybe the most powerful organization of its kind. To accomplish the Great Reset, Schwab and other elitists are counting on the surrender of the masses, that's you and me, to their will primarily because of the conditioning that we have received since 2019. And to some extent, it's happened. Look what's been going on in Canada. You know, if they won't bend their knee to Trudeau, well, he takes the bank accounts and confiscates their trucks without a court order and invokes an Emergency Powers Act that has never been ever invoked invoked before. Klaus Schwab, though, to most observers on the outside, he's helped us to experience this difficulty we've had, and he wants to discern the validity of all the bad news. The mainstream media adds to the confusion because they rarely challenge the most unnecessary, even often draconian actions and mandates voiced by government officials, including Gavin Newsom and our governor, who we call Emperor Inslee up in Washington State. But that's what's happening. One such statement repeated by leftist governors and presidents and prime ministers is that a great reset is needed to attain equity. I've heard a lot about equity, and it sounds like it's really good because they all want to be equitable. But you know what? If you take everything away from everybody and then you allow them to build again, you're going to have some people who will sit back and take a check from the government to stay home instead of work. And for those people, they better read the Bible because the man who doesn't work doesn't eat. God is not going to bless that. But uh, if you start from scratch, some people are going to create. Some people be songwriters and artists and sculptors. Some people will be great writers. Some people will be great thinkers. Some people will be leaders and some people won't be. You want equity? That's an impossibility here in the world. I want to give everybody a chance to be the best they can be. And though it's so imperfect, the best system is the free market system to give that a shot. The least equitable people of all are the globalists because they want the few at the top, the globalist elite, lording over the many at the bottom, the serfs. Klaus Schwab stated, by 2030, you will own nothing and be happy. He's German, so I kind of said it like Schultz from, uh, from uh, uh, Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> you will own nothing. Two paths to bring us to own nothing are high tax burdens and very high inflation. Boy, we're on our way, aren't we? Yep, we're really on our way. And of course, global insiders don't buy the idea that they would not own anything to be happy. They would own everything. It's only us and the great unwashed masses who wouldn't own anything. That sounds like Antichrist system to me. Klaus Schwab has a school, a school for young globalist leaders. Look who went to that school. Sergey Brin and Larry Page, the founders of Google. 
Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, two of the richest men in the world, Anderson Cooper, Leonardo DiCaprio, Ashton Kutcher, Charlize Theron, Chelsea Clinton, Jack Ma, Tony Blair, Emmanuel Macron, Nicolas Sarkozy, the disgrace leader of France, Angela Merkel, Gavin Newsom, Pete Buttigieg. They all went to the, the World Economic Forum Globalist School. But there's one more. This is a person we didn't know about until this week. This is another graduate from Klaus Schwab's Globalist School you may have seen on TV. She is the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, Christia Freeland, acting as Canada's finance minister, confiscating trucks, confiscating fuel, confiscating wood that people could use to keep themselves warm at the protest because these people aren't saying what they want them to say and they want to crush this so nobody else will ever have a protest like the truckers in Canada again. Well, she's a globalist that went to Klaus Schwab's school. Plus, she's got a communist prime minister by her side, Trudeau. So is the Antichrist alive today? I don't know. I don't know. I may have mentioned it in this service. I've said it in the other services. Because at some point in time, when things were moving along, Satan was preparing someone to be eventually the Antichrist. But God didn't allow it. In every generation, someone has been prepared. Throughout the church age and even before, there's been speculation about a coming demonic leader and who it might be. And just a few of the candidates here and just a few of them. How about uh, the Roman leader Nero? People thought he might be the Antichrist. Well, he turned out not to be the Antichrist, right? He just turned out to be uh, another leader. How about Napoleon Bonaparte? For 15 years, there was nobody like him militarily. He owned more land and had conquered more land than anybody ever before. But even though millions died, turned out he wasn't the Antichrist either. There's more. Of course, Adolf Hitler, people thought he was the Antichrist. They thought Idi Amin was the Antichrist. These world tyrants are the leaders. And then there's the more political types like Henry Kissinger. And his name in Hebrew adds up to 11, I'm sorry, 111, which is 666 um, divided by, I'm sorry, divided by six. <laughs> so there's some numbering problems there, but that's, people tried to make things out of uh, Mikhail Gorbachev's birthmark. They thought it was a six on the top of his head. Uh, that didn't turn out to be what they thought. Uh, the Pope, been great speculation. Uh, Jan Markell and I both said on radio together that we believed that the Pope might be the false prophet of the book of Revelation. But we don't know that. We just said might be because we can't be dogmatic. He fits a description from the book of Revelation. How about Benjamin Krem, the one who announced to us that Maitreya the Christ, the great Buddha, was now the world teacher and he was on the earth and he was going to bring about world peace and the dawning of the age of Aquarius, all that new age gobbledygook. Well, it didn't end well for, for Benjamin Krem and he passed away. Just before he passed away, he was talking about his relationship through the books of Helena Protama Bavatsky, and he reiterated before his death in 2016 that the enlightened one, Maitreya the Christ, would come on the earth and bring peace. Well, Ronald Reagan, they thought he was the Antichrist because his name, Ronald Wilson Reagan, equates out to 666. But Reagan wasn't the Antichrist. You know, I wrote an article back in 2010 that Barack Obama isn't the Antichrist, he's just acting like it. And I, that article is still on our website, but I don't believe that he's the Antichrist as off as his policies were, in my opinion. He's just acting like it. there's a picture of that article. And uh, Hillary Clinton, nah, not the Antichrist. This, this is more like a family portrait, I think. But anyway, <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry. But anyway, just because of uh, the goings on. And people thought that Maybe Muhammad may return reincarnated and assume the role of Antichrist. Well, there is a Muslim Antichrist, and the Quran does speak of one, this evil leader. But uh, you'll see the people there. This is the Hajj going on at Mecca. It's a, 
It's a ritual that they go through. Every Muslim must go through it once in his lifetime. But uh, Muhammad is not going to be the Antichrist. Uh, How is he going to convince the Jews to sign a peace agreement with him? How is he going to go in the Jewish temple and sit down and proclaim that he is God when to become a Muslim, it actually, you actually declare that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger, but not God. So Muslims aren't going to buy that. Uh, if you're uh, taking pictures, take a picture of this because this is important. 2 Thessalonians 2, Daniel 9, Revelation 13. And elsewhere, these aren't the only passages. They all tell us at the midpoint of the tribulation that Antichrist will enter the newly constructed Jewish temple. He will sit himself on the throne, declare he is God, and demand that he is worshipped. That we know. But we don't know when it's going to happen, and we don't know who's going to do it. So understand that any faithful practicing Muslim would never believe that Muhammad will come back and sit himself in the Jewish temple. That's just not going to happen. But Bill Gates might. In fact, I thought a couple of years ago, Bill Gates, there's a possibility he might be the Antichrist. But he's just not likable. So, so I don't know how he gets there. I don't know how he can build enough kingdom, if you will, to get himself there. Oh, he's got a lot of money. Yeah, he's willing to spend it. But could you imagine George Soros or Bill Gates being the Antichrist? No. I, I can't personally imagine that, though, It's not up to me, it's up to God. There have been many other possible antichrists that have been listed throughout time. But if we wonder, is the antichrist alive today? We don't know. We don't know if it's Klaus Schwab. We don't know if it's Bill Gates. We don't know if it's George Soros. But I can tell you, it's not Joe Biden, okay? Absolutely not. It's not Joe Biden. To both questions, we really don't know if he's alive today or who it is. Many leaders have been ready Henry Spake was one of the leaders of the European community to start with. He was the uh, Prime Minister of Belgium, first chairman of the General Assembly of the United Nations in 1945. And I want you to see what he wrote. Actually, it was in a speech, but it's written here. We do not want another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of the people and to lift us out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and be he God or devil, we will receive him. When people are desperate enough, when the chips are down and everything is lost, it is part of our fallen human nature to gravitate to something that will appease us that will give us what we want. And he's really just speaking what people believe. Send us such a man and he, God or devil, we don't care. This is James Warburg, part of the Warburg family of bankers. In 1950, he spoke this to a committee of our Congress. He said, we shall have world government whether or not you like it by conquest or consent. That was in 1950, before I was born, and I'll be 71 next month. I found a very interesting clip of a prominent globalist addressing the 26th UN Climate Change Conference up in Glasgow, Scotland, in October of this last year, 2021. Listen very carefully as Prince Charles speaks. So, ladies and gentlemen, my plea today is for countries to come together to create the environment that enables every sector of industry to take the action required. We know this will take trillions, not billions of dollars. We also know that countries, many of whom are burdened by growing levels of debt, simply cannot afford to go green. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector with trillions at his disposal, far beyond global GDP, and with the greatest respect, beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition. Did you hear that? Now, he didn't speak about anybody else 
at any point during this conference or in this speech. He didn't refer to somebody else and then come back and refer to them again. He was uh, talking about somebody when he said, with trillions at his disposal. Who's that he's talking about? He's talking about somebody that is in another league. I don't know who they are. I don't know who it is. Somebody above him, above his pay grade, who can fix the climate problems because these people believe that we're all going to die from, well, if it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't uh, the new ice age back in the 70s, now it's global warming and who knows what it might be next. But there's always got to be a cause to keep people upside down. Let's hear it again. Listen carefully. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector with trillions at its disposal, far beyond global GDP. Trillions at his disposal, far beyond global GDP, gross domestic product. Who is he speaking of? Again, we don't know. He's speaking of someone not named in the speech. This is no mistake. This was in his speech. This is not a typo. It wasn't an accident that he said it. Now, he will likely ascend to the throne of England before long. He's a world leader, and he's been a a globalist environmentalist for a long time. So for the globalists to succeed, followed by Antichrist's ascension to power, the United States cannot remain financially powerful and influent. We are going to get bankrupted somehow. I don't believe... Maybe I'm an optimist about it, but I don't believe that we're going to be bombed out of existence. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I believe those who would want to take us over would certainly use an EMT because they they want an EMP. I'm sorry, because they they just want our land, but uh, and our resources. But I, I don't think that it's going to be from bombing. I think it'll be from our undoing because we've allowed inflation to go so far that we've taxed ourselves out of existence. And that's what's going to happen if we continue on the path we're on. But something takes place because America is not found in Bible prophecy. Something happens to bring down the last superpower, oh, we thought, because now we've got China and soon we'll have Russia once again as a superpower. Something's going to take place. And I'm not negative about it. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I got to live my life. I'm going to go on. I'm going to believe in America and the principles of America and what we were founded to do, which is, of course, give people a chance at a better life and to spread the gospel when you go back and read what the founders said. But something is going to take place. I just don't know when. So I can't live as if if it's going to happen tomorrow because I don't know. See, our... What we're to do is live for Jesus Christ every day. And if he doesn't come during our lifetime and the rapture doesn't take place during our lifetime, we'll have nothing to regret. We just live for Jesus Christ now. Besides, you know, you have a mission. You as the church have a mission that's far more important than any mission that any politicians ever thought of. Your mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. I kind of mock politicians once in a while. The Republican Party of Texas many years ago called me out of the blue and asked me to run for state senate. I was, I was thrilled in a way, but I graciously turned them down and I told the chairman of the party, I said, I'll be more trouble than I'm worth because compromise doesn't come easy for me. You really don't want me. Uh, Rick Perry's college roommate had heard me speak, and he's the one who who suggested me. They didn't want me. I couldn't do it. I could do it, but it wouldn't be be fun. Not for them or me, either one. And we wouldn't get much done because compromise is what politics is all about, and I couldn't do it. I have a more important mission anyway. My mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in any way I can while I still have breath. And that is your mission as well. That is what you have been called to do. I don't care how young or how old you are. I don't care how how you think you're not educated enough to do it. I got news for you. We need soldiers out there spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Being a Christian doesn't mean we just come to church on Sunday morning to a place where there are nice people, nicer than the world, people that we think we might be able to trust more than the world. That's not what this is all about. Being a Christian means you're going to surrender to the call to be a minister, an evangelist to the lost, no matter what it takes. That's something you don't hear from a lot of pulpits today because they want to tell people, oh, just come down to the front and pray this little prayer and sign this card and now, poof, you're a Christian. Now, the real proof if you're a Christian or not is how active are you in telling others about the Christ? None of that was in my notes. America is still the beacon of hope to the world. Why do you think people are clamoring to get in our country? (laughs) Some of you would say, because Biden said he'd give them money. But people are trying to get in. Very few trying to leave. Neither Klaus Schwab or any of the globalists have been appointed as the financial savior. Nothing is settled. It might turn the tables on them. We might. There might be a revival would break out. Imagine that. Just because we decided to to be purveyors of the gospel. The great reset might be that Jesus becomes Lord and King. Only God knows the timing and the nature of the events ahead. Our national and personal surrender to globalism cannot be our position. That cannot be what we think about doing. Globalists' ultimate success will be because they end evangelism and the free proclamation of the gospel. Because it, just like it has against the tyrants of history, stands in the way of their plan. You know, for 200 years, God has supplied Christians in America with resources and ingenuity and the strength to carry out the Great Commission and to send the gospel around the world in ways that we couldn't have imagined. And we're not done yet. There is no sign on the door of America that says, finished operating, business closed. But it's up to us to make sure we keep it going. So let me give you my conclusion really quickly. It'll be the first time I've actually given the conclusion in the three times I've spoken this morning. We came to a conclusion, just not mine. The role of the globalist is likely prophetic. The fact that Gates and Soros and others are doing what they're doing is prophetic because it is building the system Antichrist will eventually have. To me, that's a sign in itself. The media, who are the proxies for the globalist, are being prophetic. From my vantage point, I suggest that the actions of the entire globalist movement and the events we're watching are absolutely prophetic. But that doesn't mean that those who speak out and resist the advance of globalism are somehow impeding God's will. Because God is allowing this to happen doesn't mean we ought to go, oh, well, it's going to happen anyway. No, what happens is when we decide as a church, when we decide to reject evil, when we decide to make a stand against darkness, I can guarantee one outcome. God will bless it by people getting saved. So we can't afford to sit back and say, oh, well, it was all going to happen anyway, prophetically. No, this is time for the church to take a stand. This could be our finest hour, as someone once said. This could be the time. We can't fall into prophetic fatalism. Oh, well, you know, I mean, these things are all prophesied. and They're going to happen anyway, no matter what I do. That can't be the way we look at things. We have a mission you know, when, when I think it was Dan Aykroyd said, we're on a mission from God. Truth is, we're on a mission from God. We've got to recognize it. So we can't fall into this idea that it's going, to be, it's going to happen no matter what. As we wage spiritual warfare for souls, I guarantee you, captives get set free. Now, I, I close one of my teachings on spiritual warfare with that. 
But that's good no matter when, no matter where, no matter how. That's the truth. When you get scared, who's in control? Fear is of Satan. When you get scared, who is in control? You got to remember that God is in control. And if God is allowing these things to happen during our lifetime, I look at it as exciting because we're watching the end come to, come to pass. We're watching these events that tell us we're coming to the end of the church age. And to me, that's exciting because God's word prophesies it. You say, I think you're a little too excited about it, Eric. I don't think so. No, God is allowing it. The answer is Jehovah God is allowing it. Why do the heathen rage? The people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. People think that they can make their master plan and bring their one world government. I've got news for you not without God saying, now is the time. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth against him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him for he seeth that his day is coming. Just remember who's in control. And now it's up to us to act on what he told us to do. So, Father, I ask, Lord, especially about these last two passages and the other scriptures that have been read and maybe some of the things that I've written and spoken this morning too. Father, I pray that you will bring these things back to our remembrance at just the right time, that fear would not be a part of our being, that fright would not control us, that apathy would not destroy us, that we would understand that without a preacher who can know, and that we've all been called to preach loudly the gospel of Jesus Christ in our own specific ways wherever we go. Help us focus and concentrate upon what you want us to do and the mission you've called us to. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior or isn't positive they know him, couldn't absolutely say, yes, I do, I know him. If there's anybody here in that state who doesn't know or isn't sure, I pray they simply just say, Father, forgive me, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus Christ. And I turn from my sin and I walk to you. Forgive me of my sin. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Pray that for anyone who is praying that prayer right now. And for many of us whose walk has just gotten distracted and we become cold, I pray we clear out the things that distract us that hold us back from doing what God called us to do, each and every one of us, individually and collectively. May it be so, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.